the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Welcome to Thanksgiving week. This is a week where every one of us who are believers in Jesus Christ ought to be spending some time truly worshiping because of all that we have to be grateful for. And I'm not going to bore you with all of the details, but um, just trying to take some time uh, between now and Thursday. Don't wait for Thursday. We're all grateful for the food on Thursday and for the company. But, but try to spend some time this week just reflecting on everything that God has done. I don't do that often enough. Paul is really good at it, but I don't do that often enough. Hey, let me move backwards a little bit and say welcome to the program. This is the word to stand on for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, We try to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions on this program, whatever's on your heart or mind. I'll do the best we can. Now, remember, this is going to be a short week. We have no live program Thursday or Friday, so you want to get all of your questions in the first part of the week, so we'd love to see those phone lines light up. You can call us at 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, it's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app uh, and we will get your questions that way. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call on this beautiful warm day is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, our main number is 340-9585. Now, before I get to questions, let me remind you, because it's Monday, we will be having our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies tonight. Um, Pastor Ken will be teaching the men. He is in the prophecy of Isaiah. It's neat, because he's in the prophecy of Isaiah. He's a chapter after tonight. He'll be two chapters ahead of me. Uh, on my Wednesday night studies, uh, and uh, uh, that's for the men. Uh, Pastor Kent's wife, May Cruzado, will be teaching the ladies. They are in the book of Judges, and of course we have our high school age and junior high school age Bible studies going on at the same time, and we invite you to come. Hope you had a great day in church yesterday. I prayed that the Lord's Spirit was moving and people got saved. Every time somebody answers an invitation to receive Christ, we get one person closer to Jesus returning for his church. Let me get to some questions that we have uh, already sent in. Here's a question from our mobile app. This one is from John. He says, could you please shed some light on what Solomon means in Proverbs 21, 9 and 21, 19? Thank you. Uh, Let me get to Proverbs 21 and uh, then we'll go from there. In Proverbs uh, 21, 9, better to have to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Um, John, this is probably not one of those scriptures that you want to leave your wife. God told me to tell you this. 
Um, there, there's just a lot about contentious women in Proverbs. Um, he said earlier that it's like a, a constant dripping. That's a, like a Chinese water torture. Think about that. Uh, and when I taught this passage, John, I just told the ladies to, to take this to heart. Let God change your husbands. You don't have to nag on him. Let God change your husbands. Now, when we get down to verse 19, it's really the same idea. Better to live in a desert than with a, with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Um, again, the idea there is uh, it, it's better to, to, to go thirsty um, um, than, to, than to, to be with a woman who's going to make your life miserable. The thought here is better to be alone than it is to be in a contentious relationship. Now, let me just take a minute with this, John, because um, we have drip, drip, drip wives and husbands in our churches. Uh, constant complaining is tiresome. You know, we who are believers, we shouldn't be complainers. I think about Israel in the wilderness. Um, even though God was providing for their every need, even though God rescued them from more than 400 years in slavery in Egypt, every time something got difficult, they complained and they grumbled. Um, and and we who are believers are like that dripping spout when we're constantly complaining. And you know, when we who are believers live in homes where complaining rules and reigns, then we're misrepresenting our Jesus. And if children are involved, they're going to get the wrong idea about who Jesus is. It's better to be alone than to be with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. I would add husband. The, the same thing is true in reverse. Uh, we men are responsible to, to set the attitude in our homes, to set sort of the emotional temperature. And it needs to be a joyful place, a, a, a place of hope. And when we are complaining and when we are quarreling, when we're uh, being ill-tempered, whether we're the husband or the wife, then we're setting our homes up to be destroyed by an enemy who wants to destroy us. Now remember that Solomon, uh, John, is writing um, um, general wisdom questions. Uh, He is... Um, we don't make doctrine out of Proverbs. This is just Solomon using the wisdom that, that God has given him um, to give us a direction uh, relative to our um, position that we have in Christ. Here's one from Scott from our email inbox. He said, I heard you speak on the Olivet Discourse. Is that also known as the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, Scott, no, I started yesterday. I don't know if you were here or you watched it, but uh, I started uh, the Olivet Discourse. I thought I was going to do it in two studies, but I I finished the second and third one today, and it's too much for for the 40 minutes that we have to to teach it. So I'm going to be in in the Olivet Discourse, Luke chapter 21, two more times. It is not the same thing as the Sermon on the Mount. The Olivet Discourse is Jesus discussing the the things of the end in this particular uh, Sunday's uh, message, Scott. Uh, We're going to talk about the Great Tribulation, how horrible it's going to be. Uh, That happens at the end of Jesus' life. In fact, as he gives the Olivet Discourse, he has probably uh, less than 48 full hours to live. So it was given at the end of Jesus' ministry. The Sermon on the Mount, which you'll find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and part of chapter 7, was given at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it's a completely different teaching with completely different purpose. Um... Um, and and I would add a completely different urgency in terms of uh, the, the shortness of the time. You know, one of the things that we have to also understand is that Jesus was like a lot of preachers. Uh, he repeated himself often. So he would teach something like he did uh, on the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning, but he would also teach on it, expanding on it, or even abbreviating it uh, in other conversations, in other Uh, opportunities to teach. So Jesus repeated himself a lot. Repetition is important. Uh, And and, uh, one of the values of the Olivet Discourse is that it is the one place where Jesus has not repeated himself a bunch 
Uh, it's a relatively new teaching, and as, as you could tell from yesterday's Bible study, if you heard it, Scott, um, the, the people were, were shocked. His listeners were shocked. This is new to their ears. These are hard concepts for them to grasp, um, but, um, but really, really important. So um, they're not the same. They're different occasions, and uh, while they're different occasions, they have a very distinct purpose involved. Here is a question from Daniel. He said, uh, Pastor what does 1 John 5.16 really mean? Well, Daniel, let me read it. It says, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that he should pray about that. Uh, Daniel, I'm going to offer a couple of possibilities, and I'll tell you which one I think is really um, the, the most germane here. Um, there are some who say that there is a sin that we can commit that is so heinous that God is going to kill us. And, and, and um, you know, we've seen that happen. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira are a good example of that. Uh, we have seen Christians uh, who have done horrible things uh, and, and the punishment is, is death, capital punishment. God doesn't rescue from them from that. I've also seen Christians who are living such horrible lifestyles uh, that they died suddenly and without explanation. And there are people who say, I know they committed the sin uh, that leads to death. Um, uh, so that is a distinct possibility. I think, however, the second possibility is more likely. I think the sin that leads to death is a sin that we, we understand as blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin. And I think what he's telling John uh, in First John, what John is communicating from God's heart is that when you see a brother, or I would add a sister that that is sinning, uh, but it's not the unpardonable sin, it's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, then we need to pray for those people. We need to pray that God would bring them to repentance, that they could be restored in their relationship uh, with God. It's okay to pray for people, even those who are professing Christians who are in continuous sin. Um, that's why John says, pray for them and God will give them life. And then he makes it clear, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Um, when there's a man who's committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and that is rejecting the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives unto death, there's nothing that we can do about that. And when John says, I'm not saying that you should pray about that, uh, if there is a man who dies and he dies apart from Christ, then there's no value in praying for him or her at all, because their their fate is sealed. Uh, I've said often, Daniel, that we have to make a choice in this life where we're going to spend eternity. This is the only place and the only time that we can make a, a free will choice that we're going to follow Jesus or we're going to reject Jesus. And if we reject Jesus once we die, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it is appointed unto men once to die and then face the judgment. Then all choice, all decisions are taken out of our hands. One other comment here, uh, Daniel. I think it's important for us um, to, to, to understand that the uselessness, the senselessness of those who pray for the dead. As you know, there are certain religions that, that constantly are praying for the dead, sort of trying to praying them out of purgatory or something. Uh, it is, uh, th there's no value in doing that. So Daniel, I hope that helps. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Olivia. Olivia, I like this question, but it kind of makes me sad to think about it. She says, Pastor Ron, what do you think is the biggest challenge for Christians moving forward in the next 10 years or so? Now, Olivia, I mentioned this briefly in my message yesterday. Um, and we did three services. I'm not sure that I mentioned in all three services. Um, but but I, I think the biggest challenge in the next 10 years or so, there's a lot of challenges that are right now today. But in the next 10 years or so, I think the biggest challenge is going to be for us as Christians to stand firm when doing so costs us dearly. I just don't think many Christians today are so committed that regardless of the consequences, we're going to take a stand and, and, and proudly declare that we are Christians proudly declaring the faithfulness of God. 
you know, we, we want to go to heaven. We've made professions of faith. Um, but there are just times when it costs us a job or when it costs us a relationship with somebody when we're not willing to cross that line. And I think in the next 10 years or so, Olivia, we Christians really and truly, more than any other time in my life, and I've been a Christian for 28 and a half years, more than any other time in my life, I think it's going to be hard to be a Christian. I think we are going to be constantly belittled. I think, I told our church yesterday that I think what I do every every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Friday, I think in the next 10 years or so, I think even in our country, what I do is going to be illegal. It's going to be called hate speech and prosecutable. Um, will I be as bold? Will I be as direct when it might send me to jail as I am right now? Now, I hope to God I will be. I certainly think I will be, um, but but I, I, I just see too many Christians caving in. I just had somebody ask me a question. Um, um, do we think maybe that the people who interpreted the Bible uh, had it wrong, and, and when people who love each other and God wants us to love each other, people love each other, and they said it was sin, could they have been wrong? And, and see, this is one of those issues that we're going to have to decide what side of the line we're going to stand. Do we believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Do we believe when God says something is sin, He says it's sin that makes it sin? Or are we going to try to reinterpret it because it makes us feel better to be accepted or to accept other people instead of telling them the truth in love? And I think as we live in these last days, Olivia, read uh, um, for Second Timothy chapter 3. Uh, Paul told his spiritual son in the faith, Timothy, he said, mark this in the last days, and he's talking about the very last times, the times that we live in. There'll be terrible times. And he describes a world that is identical to the world that we live in, where people will be without natural affection, where people will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God, lovers of evil. Well, they will do what feels good or seems right to them instead of doing what's right by the Word of God. And Olivia, I think we're just, too many of us are not going to pass that test. And I think because we're not close to the Lord, I think because Bible teachers are not declaring with consistency what the Word says and what our response to it should be, I just think there's a lot of people that when it comes time to be persecuted, they're going to cave in. And I think personally that is the biggest challenge for Christians, for Christianity in the United States of America in the next 10 years or so. And I see it every day. I see our situation deteriorating every day because it's easier to be accepted by the world that we live in. So, Olivia, I think that's what it is. There are others, certainly, I think... Uh, biblical illiteracy is a big challenge. I think the lack of hunger and passion for the Word of God is a, a huge, huge challenge for us. I, I think our um, willingness, our eagerness even to compromise is a big challenge. I think we are losing our ability to be a witness in this world. And... Um, it's because we would rather sin... I think we believe that God's job is sort of take care of us and make sure nothing bad happens to us. We treat him like he's uh, a cosmic concierge, you know, our heavenly Santa Claus, and we give him lists of things, but I don't think we're men and women who really pray from the depth of his heart. I'm speaking generally, of course. But I hope that answers your question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Raymond wants my thoughts on the fivefold ministry. Uh, Raymond, that comes from Ephesians, um, uh, apostles and prophets, pastors and teachers, uh, and evangelists. Um, I, I think uh, every church 
ought to have the fullness of God's ministry going uh, alive in that church. But but the fivefold ministry emphasis is is uh, uh, sort of over the top, charismatic, um, and it's a misunderstanding of what Paul has already said in the book of Ephesians, um, the, the office of apostle, um, the office of prophet, two of the five ministries that are given to us in Ephesians four. Um, those offices no longer exist in the church. That means there are no apostles, there are no prophets. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says that the church, and the language is very specific, especially if you can understand it in, in Greek using a concordance or, or, or a, a, a Bible study tool. Uh, Robertson's word pictures of the New Testament is a great, great tool for understanding um, the, the, the original language. Um, the idea is that the church is currently being built on the foundation already laid, and it's a completed thing, finalized deal. So when he says the church is being built, that foundation's being laid, and then, of course, on something you build, you build from that foundation up. And the other gifts, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, uh, they're the ones who are doing the building. We are God's gift to the church. Now, all of those things ought to be going on in the church, uh, an apostolic-style ministry. Uh, we here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, if my numbers are right, uh, we are getting ready to plant our 32nd church. Um, and we're going to, to uh, Michoacan, Mexico. And um, that will be, I think, our 32nd church. Uh, that's an apostolic-style ministry. We're sending people out to plant churches. That does not make me an apostle. It doesn't make the people going an apostle. It just means that we're, we're doing what Paul did. We want to preach the gospel where there are no other people doing it. In some cases, of course, there, there are other churches there. Uh, but as men are equipped to, 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 to proclaim the word of God, uh, we want to be able to provide for them. So that is an apostolic style ministry, but that doesn't make us apostles. The same thing is true with prophets. The prophets and the apostles, with Jesus the cornerstone, Ephesians 2.20, uh, that's the foundation that's already laid. First Corinthians 3 said, you can lay no other foundation than that which is already laid, uh, the one laid by Jesus, uh, so there are no prophets, nobody walking around like like uh, the New Testament writers or like uh, Philip's four daughters or like Agabus or, uh, or, or um, uh, Barnabas or any of the others that were New Testament apostles. Remember, they didn't have the word of God that we have. They laid the foundation as the prophets, as New Testament prophets, uh, but, but we build on that. We, we are no longer prophets, so there are none. So, Raymond, the fivefold ministry is based on a faulty foundation. If there are no prophets and there are no apostles, it's really a threefold ministry that is currently active in the church. And um, if, if you are involved in a church that is proud of their fivefold ministry, then it's a church that is really out of order and sort of inconsistent with what the Word of God in the New Testament teaches us. Uh, I love the work of evangelism. We we have people on the streets all the time. Um, evangelism happens in 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 events, but but evangelism happens also uh, every single day. Uh, the individual people that you meet. I obviously love the uh, the gift that God has given the church of pastor teacher. That's what I do, and um, um, we're going to keep doing it. Um, but but that's a church that is in order, and uh, a church that claims to have apostles and prophets is really not a church that is is a church that is of uh, or in order. Um, here's a question from Andrew. How am I doing? Two minutes. Um, Andrew says, "There's a girl in my life that God said was the one I would marry." I don't know her very well yet, but should I tell her what God said? Andrew, listen closely. No, no, a thousand times no. Don't tell her that at all. And be very, very skeptical of those kind of things. You know, uh, when I was in Bible college, there were always, and it happened to bo with both the, the boys and the girls, 
um, um, a, a man, young man said he was called to be a pastor. There'd always be a girl who said, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to marry a pastor. I think you're the one. Uh, conversely, uh, all the girls, especially the really good looking girls, there were always guys saying, you know, God told me that I was supposed to marry you. And that's nonsense. That's nonsense. So um, if there is a girl in your life and you are attracted to her, uh, tell her. But don't blame it on God. Just tell her. Uh, if she's a believer, you're a believer, then you have something to build on. You have something in common. Um, but but don't um, count on that little voice that I know this is the one. And even as I say that, uh, Andrew, when, when Paul and I met all those years ago, we knew that this was a relationship that would last forever. And it did. It has. I you know, forever, 50 years ago is when we met. So, um, really, really important. Don't tell her that God said. You just get to know her. Let her know who you are. Let her know that you have Jesus' heart. Make sure she has Jesus' heart as well. Don't scare away with, you're going to be the one. 340-9585. I know it's a holiday week, but the phones are slow. 340 340- 9585. This is the word to stand on for life. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday program, 340-9585. My producer told me, slow down, slow down, you're talking so fast. I do that. When I teach, I do that. So please forgive me if I've been talking too fast. Uh, Here is a question from Matt. He says, can you recommend any really good free, and he emphasized free, resources for Bible study? You know, Matt, one of the real benefits of the time that we live in is that there is so much information out there uh, available and free um, that, that um, there, there's a lot. Now, I'm a book guy, at least I was when I could see, uh, and I think we ought to have resources uh, available that we can turn pages, but there is a lot of really good stuff out there as well. So get out a pen and paper, and I'm going to give you just three or four and then um, uh, we can, uh, you can sort of go from there. Um, the first one, I want to recommend this to everybody in this audience. It's one of the best commentaries that you're going to find on the Bible. And there is a, con- a, it's a commentary on the entire Bible that's completely finished now. Uh, it is uh, by my friend, David Guzik. Uh, it is Enduring Word. If you um, Google Enduring Word, I think the... Uh, uh, website address is EnduringWord.com um, um, you, you'll find one of, the, one of the really great informative and solid Bible commentaries ever and it's completely free uh, again it's a, it's a commentary on the whole Bible I know lots and lots of people use it uh, because I personally know David well um, I, I know his heart. I know where he's coming from. I also know that this is one of the things that he's really gifted to do. And his commentaries are available to anyone and everyone. And there's all kinds of good research. Additionally, there are a lot of uh, bibliography references that you can track down on your own. So um, that would be the first one I would recommend. There's another really good one um, uh, by, by guys now with Jesus. But his name is Ray Stedman, S-T-E-D-M-A-N. And if you just Google Ray Stedman Library, um, you know, he he doesn't do it like like, uh, I do, for example, where where he's got a commentary on the whole Bible. uh, But he's got a whole bunch of books uh, with his commentaries written and and they're they're, uh, copies of the books that he's written. And all of that is free. Ray Stedman, uh, he was the pastor of Peninsula Bible Church. Uh, and a great Bible teacher, um, just a wonderful guy. And all of that is free um, online. And, and you can buy this book as well, Matt, but uh, online because it's now public domain. 
Uh, there is a guy that I don't think anybody should ever, ever try to study or teach the Gospels without having his book. It's a man named Alfred Edersheim, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M. And uh, um, again, public domain, he's long, long, long been with Jesus. Uh, and uh, his his uh, classic, The Life and Times of the Messiah, uh, is available online. Uh, and he actually has the ministry of Jesus sort of in chronological order. And it's rich with a very, very rich Jewish perspective on Jesus' ministry. That's important uh, because Jesus' ministry was entirely Jewish. So those are three of them right away that come um, off the top of my head, I'm not a big fan of the the the, the general summaries. Um, Adam Clark or Matthew Henry or some of those they come with any any Bible study program, and of course they're free. Uh, but um, uh, I like a little bit more um, general information or specific information rather than that. And um, so those are those are three that I can recommend immediately. And uh, Matt, give me some time, and I'll think of some others. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here is an anonymous question. Oh, I got a phone call, so let me go there first. We've got uh, New Brumfels. Thomas calling on line one. Thomas, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, appreciate you. Enjoy your show. Uh, Thank quick you. Quick question of clarification from the question you just answered regarding apostleship and prophecy. So were you making a distinction between the offices of and versus the spiritual gifts of those? So anyway, yes. I just wanted to make sure I understood that correct, and I'll let you. I'll hang up and let you answer. Appreciate it. God bless. Thank, thank you, Thomas. You, you did understand. The, the, the office of prophet is closed. The office of apostle is closed. But the gift of prophecy, uh, as, as indicated in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, is very much alive and very much needed in the church. Now, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the prophets, um, they spoke for God. I mean, it was it was as though they're writing it down uh, in the Word of God, but it was the, 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 the Spirit of God coming through the mouth of the prophet. I, I think of, of Agabus, as, as dramatic as he was, uh, he, he was a guy that was a New Testament prophet. Um, the gift of prophecy is different. According to 1 Corinthians 12, the gift of prophecy is for the edification, for the strengthening of the church. Uh, it would be, it would include, but not be limited to, the gift of encouraging. It would be um, forth-telling, not foretelling the future, but forth-telling the Word of God. Uh, that's what prophets of old did. They, they, they foretold, forth-told the Word of God. So uh, prophecy exists, the gift of prophecy, uh, and always will until Jesus returns. But having or using the gift of prophecy does not make one a prophet. So that distinction, Thomas, is really important to make, and I'm glad that you gave me the opportunity to make that clear. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585, here is a question from Anonymous that I started to get to. Uh, he or she says, my question is about being drunk in the spirit. Is that biblical or not? Uh, it is not biblical, Anonymous. Um, there's no such thing as being drunk in the spirit. It is an out-of-control, uh, hyper-charismatic practice. Um, for the life of me, I don't know what people think the value of it is or why. It's it's like, well, the Holy Spirit overwhelmed me so much and I was acting like I was drunk. Um, along the same lines, we have people that talk about being laughing in the Spirit, throwing up in the Spirit, barking in the Spirit, all kinds of crazy things. None of those things are biblical. God is a God of order. We also know that that one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So anytime you're out of control, it's certainly not the Holy Spirit. It may be the evil spirit, but it's certainly not the Holy Spirit. Most of the time, it is just an excuse for being out of order in the church, getting goosebumps and feeling like, boy, God was really moving among us. But when God is moving among his people, it's never silliness. 
It's never being drunk in the Spirit. It's never being slain in the Spirit. All of those things have zero value at all. None of those things are from the Lord. So not biblical. It's not a practice to participate in. And to any and all of you who are in a church where those things are uh, commonly um, demonstrated, uh, you're in a really, really carnal church. And you need to find a good, solid church. Here is a question from Iris. Uh, She says, I'm interested in social justice issues, but I can't find a church with the same interest. Well, Iris, I think the reason you can't find a church with the same interest is because that's not a church. Um, I understand your interest in social justice issues, but get filled with God's spirit and let him use you to follow, to pursue the, the desires of your heart so that you can minister to people. Uh, we don't go to church uh, to, to, to inspire social justice. The reason we're to go to church is to be equipped to do the work of ministry. And so if you're looking for a church with social justice issues, then, then you're, you're not looking for a church that Jesus is in control of. Is Jesus interested in social justice? Of course he is, because he's interested in people. But here's what happens, and Iris, I hope I can really make this clear to you. When you go to church and you're equipped to do the work that God has called you to do, when you're filled with the Spirit, when you're taught about who Jesus is, make no mistake, that is job number one for a church. Our job is to present Jesus in all of his fullness. When you do that, God gives you gifts, and he will give you vision, he'll give you direction, and then you'll be able to be used by God to touch other people. Let me just give you the example. Uh, one of the things that we do at church, you know, we we are um, uh, a church that, that, that has a free school. Um, we're ministering to, to people who can't afford a really good quality private education, and we're doing it for free. I think even more amazing than that, one of the things that God did here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Iris, is is um, he he put on our heart to, to to have a free doctor's office? We have a family practice doctor's office that is one hundred percent free. A husband wife doctor team. We've got a pediatrician. We've got a nutritionist. We have a, a, a physician's assistant. A whole staff of wonderful professional nurses. Uh, and everybody who comes there pays nothing. And not only do they get great medical care, but they get the gospel and they get prayed for. Whether they want it or not, that's, we, we just tell them that's what it costs to come here. And, um, you, you know, we, we've seen in our, we're in our seventh year, uh, we've seen in excess of 31,000 patients. And Iris, um, the overwhelming majority, probably 80% or better of those people don't come from our church. So these are people that we would never see in church. They're people that we would never uh, come into contact with any other way. And yet God, because he loves them so much, he wants to make sure that they have medical care. If you come and just sit in the, in the, in the waiting room for a couple of hours one day, it's an amazing thing. And you see people from all walks of life. Uh, we have a, a large number of, of uh, homosexual patients, transgender patients, and we see people coming to Christ. So God takes care of the vision he gives. You're trying to follow your own vision, and social justice is not what we come to church for. Social justice is not the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ. We're to come, according to Ephesians, to be equipped for the work of ministry. And when God gives you a ministry direction, when God gives you the gifts of the Spirit, to accompany that vision it is a wonderful thing to behold, Iris. So go to church to fall in love with Jesus. Go to church to serve God's people, the church. Go to church to find out what God has for you. But don't go to church to pursue your own interests. We're to lose our interests in favor of the interests he's going to give us. I never dreamed that we would have a free school when I first was called to be a pastor. Uh, I never dreamed we would have a free doctor's office. I never dreamed that we would have a a free home where women who are in trouble can live, Um, women who are abused or women 
uh, who've been in trouble with the law, uh, women who've had babies and don't know how to be moms. Um, God did all of that, and he did it by raising up the people who come to the church to find out about Jesus. And when you learn about Jesus, he fills in all the blanks. So give him a chance to touch your heart and change you. Find a church that teaches the Word of God. Serve that church. Get involved. Deep dive. And I promise you, God will give you the desires of your heart. 340-9585. Here's a question from Logan. He says, Why do you think Paul did not talk about heaven after he had been there in 2 Corinthians 12? Well, Logan, the, 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 the simple answer is because God told him he, he couldn't. He said, he saw things man is not permitted to tell. So here's the key. When God tells you to do something, you do it. When God tells you don't do something, you don't do it. And Paul uh, generally referenced his trip to heaven. It's very important because of the things that Paul suffered. But he also was told not to share the things that he'd seen. Now, um, the other side of that, Logan, is this. We have a lot of people who write books or make movies now and they try to detail all the things that they saw. Yeah, God took me to heaven and when God took me to heaven uh, I saw all these things and they'll tell well we can tell Logan that those are false stories. They're not true. Uh, if God said man is not permitted to tell what he saw in heaven then that means man is not permitted to tell what he saw in heaven. Let's go to Jimmy holding on line one. Jimmy, thanks for calling. Good to hear from you. It's been a while. I know, sir. Um, yeah, um, when you and Paula first started your church, did people tell you that, that you, you guys were going to fail? <laughs> is, that, is that the whole question, Jimmy? No, because, see, um, <clears throat> I'm in this church uh, that they started about six months ago, and we're, we're growing pretty fast, we're, and uh, the pastor mentioned that somebody told him that our church is not going to make it, and I, mm-hmm. and I, I spoke, well, I, and maybe I was not wrong, but I spoke up in the congregation that said, no, we are going to make it, because as long as we are obedient to God's word, we are going to make it. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, I would I would have said not only are we going to make it, but we've already made it. We're already doing the work. And and to answer your question directly, a lot of people told us that we were going to fail. I remember my first week here. I just went in. I scheduled an interview, not for a job or anything. I just wanted to talk to a Christian radio station here in town. I remember sitting in his office, looking out over San Antonio. And and this guy said, so you made an appointment, why are you here? And I said, well, we're here to start a church. He goes, oh, didn't anybody tell you that San Antonio is a graveyard for preachers? And we've had people tell us over and over and over that we can't make it. Uh, they've told us our school is going to fail. We're in our 20th year. Nobody can do a free medical clinic. We've been told that's not of God. So, yeah, there's always going to be naysayers. There's always going to be people who are critics. Um, but Jimmy, just keep your head down, keep doing the work, and as you're doing the work, uh, God will open their eyes. God will open their eyes. It, it's just the, the constant discouragement of the enemy, and sadly, he uses a lot of Christians to to try to discourage us, uh, but the truth of the matter is, we're going to keep going no matter what, and um, your church, is if it's growing, if God is blessing it, then it's it's uh, a work that's already being done by the Lord. So um, you'll make it. I'll be praying for you. Appreciate it, Jimmy. It's good to hear from you. Love to see you again soon. Thank you for calling. 340-9585. Let's go to line two and talk with Kate from San Antonio. Kate, thank you for holding your on the air. She, she hung up. Oh, I'm sorry, Kate hung up. Um, Kate, if you want to call back, lines are empty. I was just thinking, Kate, I haven't heard that one before, so that's a first-time caller. I would love to have you call back, Kate. Let's go to my next question, then, while we wait for a call. Um, This one is from Pam. She says, as my son prepares to go away to college, what suggestions do you have to help prepare him for the assault on his faith that will surely take place? 
Uh, Pam, wonderful question. Uh, Paul and I were just talking today, you know, we're, we're coming close to Christmas. It seems like when uh, we hit the Christmas break and, and the kids all come back to our school, it's like the rest of the school year takes a week. It just goes so fast. And we've got some seniors and we've known them their whole lives. And you're just thinking, oh, Lord, uh, we don't want them to go. It's an amazing thing to me. Um, not only do we send them away to college, we almost insist that they go. And we pay a lot of money knowing that they're going to try to steal the faith of our children. I don't know why we pay for that. I really don't. I'm not one who thinks college is an absolute necessity. I think the only necessity is to make sure that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. Let him kind of lead and guide. Now, obviously, we've got a lot of kids that go to college. We have 100% college placement, in fact, uh, out of our, our graduating classes here at Calvary Chapel Christian Academy. Uh, and I'll tell you to tell your son what we tell these kids. Uh, we let them know that they're going to be made to feel like fools for believing in Jesus Christ. We tell them that they're going to be sort of on the outside looking in. They're going to be laughing stocks. Um, we tell them that it is more important than ever that they stay in the Word, that they stay in the presence of Jesus. And we want them to expect the all-out assault on our faith. And we proclaim Jesus. We teach them to be effective witnesses. But ultimately, Pam, what we have to do is depend on on uh, those kids and their walk with the Lord. You know, when, when your son goes away to college, he's going to meet his tree of choice. He's going to meet his tree of choice. Now, by that, I mean um, there was one tree that Adam and Eve were told not to go through, not to eat of the fruit of. And the enemy was always there. Doesn't that tree look good? Look at that fruit. And, and so they were hanging around the tree and pretty soon they'd fallen. Well, your children, your son, Pam, is going to have to make choices. Outside of his home, he's going to have to make choices about to whom he really belongs. You see, your Jesus, your faith can't sustain him. Now he has to be weaned off your faith and he has to have a develop a faith on his own. And frankly, Pam, God puts those people, uh, th- those, those tests in our kids' lives. It is a good thing, a good thing that they have these tests. If they stay close to the Lord, make sure that doctrinally they understand what you believe and why. Uh, sit down and talk with him now, between now and the time he's getting ready to go to college. Uh, talk with him continually. Um, you know, we have a, a regular caller here uh, from Northern California. Her name is Tanya. Uh, I just love her. She is so bold in her faith. And um, um, Tanya's son, Marcus, um, last year, uh, this is his freshman year, uh, went to uh, Cal Berkeley, one of the the most liberal left-wing colleges in the United States um, and and Marcus is striving. So just prepare them for the battle that lies ahead because unless they are ready, they're going to be caught off guard. The enemy has an address and it's a college campus. Here is, uh, this will be the last question maybe for today. Lucas wants to know, is it rude to tell people what they believe is false when they believe in other religions? Um, Lucas, it's not rude. Uh, however, we can be rude in doing it. You want to tell people the truth in love, and you certainly don't want to be rude. You want to open a dialogue with them and talk to them instead of talking at them. Um, but you see, it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility. When I encounter somebody who's trying to, to defend a, a, a religion that isn't Christian, I just ask him, so I know that's what you believe, but tell me why you believe it. And usually the answer is, well, that's how I was raised, or, well, you know, that's just my truth, and I'll, I'll find an opportunity, an open door, to talk to them about truth. Not my truth or their truth, but, but just about truth in general. And the Lord is always faithful to sort of open a door so we can plant some seeds. But it is not rude at all 
And and unfortunately, Lucas, I think there are just a lot of Christians who uh, who feel that it's rude or that it's so, it's so uncomfortable that they won't don't want to do it. But but Lucas, my challenge is always this one. It's I, I just can't imagine me having been given the opportunity by the Lord to tell somebody the truth in love and not taking advantage of that opportunity and then maybe they go out and they get involved in a car wreck or they get a disease and they die or something like this and I would have thought, oh Lord, I had the opportunity and I blew it. So Lucas, it's not rude, it's necessary. And that's what we have to do in defending our faith, declaring our faith to other people. So, no, you tell them the truth. You tell them the truth in love. If they get angry at you, Jesus said, blessed or happy are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. It didn't say you'll feel blessed. It didn't say you'll feel happy. But you will be because you will know for sure that you're in the perfect will of God. So you go out and you tell people the truth in Christ. Don't just point fingers at what they believe and say, this is wrong. Engage them in conversation. So tell me, why do you think that's true? Does it make sense to you that that there's a lot of different ways to heaven. I get that a lot when I'm talking to people. Well, you know, we're all on the same journey, just taking different routes to get there. I always tell people, look, if you leave here to go to Houston and you head west, are you going to get to Houston? Well, no, because Houston's east. Well, heaven has a direction. It's a path, and Jesus is the way. So, Lucas, you keep telling people the truth in Jesus Christ. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I appreciate always you listening. This has been the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember, Monday night Bible studies tonight at 7 o'clock. Ladies, you can watch it at calvarysa.com. See you tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.